So while you're having a seat, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians, and Kelly's going to read our passage tonight. It's from Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Amen. Thanks, Kelly. Well, hey, how are you tonight? Good? Good, good? Yes, yes? Great. Good. Good to see you. Well, last week we told you that you were a cup. You were a cup, and I had a pitcher, and the pitcher was filled with water, and uh, the, the issue, that is my daughter. Love you, Nora. Family worship night for life. You are a cup, and God is the pitcher, and the water is all the good things that God wants to pour into your life. And what are all the good things that God wants to pour into our lives, if not Everything we've seen so far in our letter to Ephesians. Our letter to Ephesians is all about what? Three words. Oh, this is going to make a preacher really sad. Uh, That would be tonight, but you're close. You got two of the three words. Life in Christ. Thank you. All the good things that God has for us that He wants to pour into us have been explained in such beautiful, big, sweeping detail in the first three chapters of our letter to Ephesians, which is all about life in Christ. He says we're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We're blessed with the immeasurable richness and goodness of His love. And this is like rock and roll. Whoa, this is crazy. And then he says, guess what? You've got power in Christ. God's power dwells in you. And then a few weeks ago, we saw that it's not just God's power that dwells in you. God himself dwells in you. But the cool thing is that it's not just you, it's y'all. And the y'all is the church. And we've talked about before that in Christ... It doesn't matter what your birth certificate or your passport says. It doesn't matter when you go to the tax office and fill out a form that says you're Caucasian or black or Latino, Hispanic, whatever. What matters is that in Christ, there is one body. There is one people of God. And your passport doesn't matter because your citizenship is in a new kingdom unlike any other kingdom that says Jew and Gentile, or white and black, or old and young, or married and single, all people in all places are invited to the table. And God will fill you. And God will restore you. And that brings us up to speed from last week. Are you filled or are you empty? And whether you're filled or empty, whether your cup is runneth over or your cup is empty, Paul's prayer last week is for you, and it's a prayer that all the y'all, black, brown, young, old, or otherwise, we could all be filled to the brim with all the fullness of God. So if last week you were a cup, this week I'm going to talk about our passage as a door. 
And on this door is the hinge to this Ephesian letter, which is all about life in Christ. The first three chapters, as we've discussed, is kind of like the big picture rock and roll view. All those things I told you about, blessed in Christ, power in Christ, God is dwelling in us, in Christ. All of these big picture things, Paul has been rocking and rolling like Eddie Van Halen with this crazy mammoth guitar solo that just started and just won't quit. It has been full throttle from verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way down to this prayer we looked at last week. And so now the door swings open to the last half of the book. You with me? The last half of the book, 4 through 6, and we get now the ground level view of what all that rock and roll, beautiful power stuff means in our day-to-day life. We've talked about it otherwise like this, if you can stand another analogy. You ready? The first section of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, gives us the ski lift view. You're riding up the lift and you're seeing all these beautiful things. The big picture view of life in Christ. And you're looking down at the path down the mountain. That will inform our ground level view, chapters 4 and 6, as we live out our life in Christ together. Chapters 4 to 6 is the now what? Okay? You say I'm blessed and all this is great, now what? What does it have to do with our relationships in this church? What does it have to do with our relationships in our families? And he starts on this hinge of the next part of the letter, the door that opens us into the next part of the letter, he starts with telling us, reminding us that he is a prisoner in the Lord and he's going to plead with us to walk in the big, beautiful truths he's already told us. You with me? You with me? Kiddos, how you feeling? You good? We're going to need you big time in a little bit, okay? So y'all just hang tight and we're going to talk in a minute. But let's do this. Let's pray again, and then we'll talk some more. Sound good? Let's join me in a word of prayer, please, before we get into this passage. Father, we are grateful for all that is ours in Christ. We thank you that we have Christ, that he is our Savior and friend and Lord, and he wants to be with us. He doesn't just love us, he likes us. That God, you are not distant, but you are in us. Holy Spirit, you're not just some ethereal, new age thing out there. You are very much present to us, in us, and uniting us. So I pray that we would look into that unity, Spirit, that you have given us. And I pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see in ways that I can't communicate how we are united in you. And that it is good, but it's also hard. So would your word through Paul speak to us? Amen. Thanks. Look here in verse 1. Who's writing this letter, guys? Have y'all heard of Paul? Yeah? You've heard of Paul? Well, Paul wrote this letter, and what does it say up there? Do y'all know prisoner? Paul wrote this when this dude was in jail. So he says, I therefore, who's Paul, the prisoner in the Lord, he says, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, if you look in your Bibles, yours may say something similar to that. Live worthily, or live in this way. But really, it doesn't quite get at what Paul's trying to say. 
What Paul is saying is this. Walk worthily. Walk worthy of the calling. Walk. That is a key word, not just at the very beginning of our passage tonight, but it's a key word through the whole second part of this letter. Walk in a worthy, walk in a manner that's worthy of all this big, beautiful stuff that I've been riffing on, right? And what does he mean by walking? Well, it's an old concept in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew people, God's people before everybody was invited to the party. And walking just simply meant this is your way of life. You with me? So if I am walking, it's like you're saying, well, that's just his way of life right? He's going in this direction. He's doing these things. And so Paul says, make the way of your life worthy of the life in Christ. You with me? He's saying, I'm begging you to make this a lifestyle. Because when we talk about walking, we're talking about progress. We're talking about movement. It involves this notion that we're actually going kind of taking stock of our steps. When you walk, hopefully you're not doing it with your eyes closed. Hopefully you're paying attention to the path. Paul is saying, live intentionally. Think. Act. And do so in a way that is worthy of this calling. Now what does he mean by calling? Now, a lot of times in our churches, or at least the church I grew up in, a lot of us say words like, well, God called me into ministry, right? I went to a high school where we'd go to church camp, and we wouldn't just walk down crying and give our lives to Jesus. We'd walk down crying, and we'd rededicate our lives. And I did that every summer, and I'd say, oh, Lord, I'm going to rededicate my life to you. And I think Jesus is up there smiling, saying, well, bro, when was it ever truly dedicated, man? but it's okay. I'll let you do what you're going to do. I'm going to love you through it. I'm still here. Why don't you just walk with me, right? Well, I'd walk down and I'd rededicate my life, but I'd also walk down and say, I surrender to your call. You've called me to ministry. A lot of us say, well, maybe I'm called to missions or I'm called to some nice holy thing. Have you heard this or am I, should I just move on, right? Okay, you've heard this. That's not the calling he's talking about. Guess what? Every one of us are called. Every one of us are called. And here's, let me stop you. Not just to missions or being a pastor or being a leader. Everyone is called and this is the calling that he has in mind. You have been called out of darkness and into life. You have been called out of life that is apart from Christ and into life, watch, in Christ. And so here's the trick. Paul is begging these people as he opens up this new version of the letter to make this calling influence everything about their life, their manner of living, that you would walk in such a way where that calling that Jesus has called you out of darkness and into life is something that actually makes sense of your life every day as you walk and live and breathe and move. Live your life in such a way where giving your life to Jesus actually makes a difference. You with me? Is that an incredible concept? But here's why it's an incredible concept in the church today. Because if you're also like me, I grew up in a church context in which I could just believe the right things and then call it done, right? 
I could just say a magic prayer and I could give no thought to my walk, right? I could just continue down and just do whatever I want thinking that I just had this one and done experience with Jesus. You with me? But Paul is saying the exact opposite of that. He's saying, I'm, beg- I'm begging you to make that calling when Jesus called you out of darkness and into life something that influences your daily reality. It's less about a one and done birth certificate, right? And it's more like a marriage certificate. When I sit with couples, and I have been recently, one of the first things we talk about are expectations. And we say, okay, what what are these things you want to change in this person? You know, what are you expecting of them? And then sometimes they'll give us just a litany of these things. Bud has had some people write these things down. And Bud is way more rock and roll than I am. Pastor Bud says, great. Now that you've got your expectations down, now that you've got your, um, you've got your uh, things you want to change down, take that sheet of paper, tear it just so, then tear it just like this, crumple it up and throw it in the trash. Our life in Jesus is less about a birth certificate and it's more like a marriage certificate in this. When you're married, everything changes. Everything changes. I don't, not everything. They don't all of a sudden take their mask off, hopefully, and become some humanoid alien. But everything changes in that something happens in this covenant where as much as you've been together and as much as you've seen, something changes on the other side of it. And here's the deal. Marriage affects every decision almost in my life. Sometimes even what shirt I'm going to wear. Our life in Jesus is not to be like some kind of OCD husband or a, or a wife who wants to dress me. Amy doesn't want to dress me. I don't know why I said that. Just forget I said that. She's in the hallway and she's going to come through that door and give me a look in just a second. I don't want her to do that. What I'm trying to convey is that our relationship to Jesus, just like marriage, should change every aspect of our life. And so the question is this. If we are called, if we are urged to lead a life that's worthy or in step with this calling, how then should we walk? We're all there, right? Let's see what he says. There's four things he's going to tell us. Actually, go back, please. There's four things he's going to tell us. Here's how we should walk to live a life worthy of this calling. Ready? With, count them, all humility. What's the second one? And gentleness with patience and bearing with whom? One another. It's not that you've just been married to Jesus. Watch. Somehow, in Christ, you've been married to a lot of one another's. Surprise, that is the kind of marriage where somebody takes the mask off and all of a sudden it's this big, ugly alien because you come into a church like this and you sit with big, ugly us. No offense. Sorry, Lynette. What happens is we're supposed to walk in new life with Jesus, worthy of the calling, but we're supposed to do so together and in these four ways at least. First, he says, with all humility. You see that in verse 2? You see, when we're walking together in Christ, what will kill us is pride. What kills us is when I think, I don't need you. That's called pride. What kills a community is when I say things like, well, I am above you. Let me help you. 
Pride is this uh, quiet place where it keeps you from maybe asking for help. It keeps you from giving help. Pride destroys community. So if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of this calling, we should do so that opposes pride and instead is humility. It's To walk in all humility is to walk with others' needs above your own. It's the difference that Jesus modeled for us. And you'll look with me, please, in, a, in Philippians chapter 2. We should have that on the screen. How did Jesus model humility for us as we should follow together? He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in what? Humility. What's humility? Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Okay, quick pop quiz. How good at this are you? Like nine times out of ten, I'm going to look for the other person's needs above my own. We got nine times out of ten. Cash? Good. Eight times out of ten. Seven. This is countercultural. So we need help. Well, guess what? We have Jesus in us showing us how to do this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be what? Used to his own advantage or exploited. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he what? Humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If Paul asks us to walk with all humility, certainly it would entail putting others' needs above ourselves, looking to other people's interests over our own, and if it's all humility, are we even willing to die for one another? It's tough, isn't it? It's incredibly tough. But the good news is we have Jesus not only to model it, but to show us how to do it. Now when we walk together with humility, you may say, well, if I'm looking out for Bud's needs or Lindsay's needs or all these other people's needs, who's going to look forward to my needs? Well, if we walk in a manner worthy of our calling together, we should all be helping each other, knit together, looking each one to each other's needs. And it only works if we're all bought in and committed to doing that through the power of Jesus in the Spirit of Jesus, for Jesus. We need to walk with all humility together. But that's not all. The second thing he said in our passage back in Ephesians, uh, verse 2 is, with gentleness. Gentleness. You know what kills community? Hardness. Hardness of heart. Hardness of tongue. Have you ever had an encounter with someone across a, a, a living room or at a Starbucks, and this person said, I'm just speaking truth, man. But that truth came like a ton of stinking bricks. There is a hardness there in which the way they said what they said ruined the truth that was there. Sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that we are called to be a gentle people. Now gentle here is not weakness. It's not even... Um, it's not a softness even. What gentleness is, is more like an even keel. Have you known the guys that are just so chilled out, man? 
they're just like just rocking and rolling. They probably got flip-flops on and khaki shorts no matter what. And they're just, just jamming, man. They're even keel. You know that word even keel that we say a lot? Really, it's, it's about a balance. It's like a nautical term. You're balanced as you go. Are we walking together that's balanced and gentle? Are we giving people the benefit of the doubt? Are we gentle in dealing with one another? How do you think Jesus would deal with you? Or rather, how do you want Jesus to deal with you? Do you want Him to be harsh? Or do you want Him to be gentle? That's it, man. He can be strong even in that gentleness. Let's see Jesus as He says He is gentle. Let's look here in Matthew This is Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle. And what? Humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. We get things messed up when we're walking together and we're yoked or tied to people who are not humble but proud. We get things out of step when we are walking with people who are not gentle but rough and hard and uh, and caustic. We need to be people who are walking with all humility and gentleness. But he goes on and he says also, we must walk with what? Patience. He says we need to walk with patience. You know what else destroys community? When we're walking together and living lives that aren't worthy of that calling that Paul's talking about. It's when we are walking angry. When we're walking in anger. Anger can destroy community and so the antidote to that kind of anger that can creep up within us is patience. Patience is an antidote and it's a refusal to retaliate. When we are walking with one another, we are going to upset one another. Yes? We are going to have miscommunications. Yes? The practical call here is to give that person the benefit of the doubt. When you hang up the phone, is the first thing you give them a piece of your mind or a piece of understanding and patience and the benefit of the doubt? Are you giving people the piece of your mind or are you willing to be patient and give them the benefit of the doubt? If we are going to walk in a manner together that's worthy of this calling, we need to do so with patience. And then similar to that is this idea that we see God leading us in that kind of patience. In Exodus, when he reveals himself to Moses, God who could say anything on his business card to Moses in this place, he passed in front of him when Moses is hiding in the cleft of the rock and he's proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. If we are walking in a manner that's worthy of the God who has called us, can we say, my husband is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. My, my friend, my wife, myself. Could that be on our business card as we walk together? If we want to emulate our compassionate and gracious Father, we need His help to walk in patience, as well as gentleness and humility. Finally, if we're walking together, the thing that Paul says here, living this life, walking in this life worthy of the calling, you're supposed to put up with one another in love. Is that what yours says? 
Go back real quick to that Ephesians passage. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The Adam translation of that is putting up with one another in love. I'm going on vacation tomorrow. We are going to a little bit of a road trip. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I'll be back here next Saturday, but I won't be preaching. Um, So I hope you don't think I'm mailing it in tonight. Uh, I'm just kind of got vacation on the brain, but I'm would, there's nowhere else I'd rather be and no one else I'd rather be walking with in this moment. But I'm about to go on vacation and vacation for me means a little bit of stress. A little bit of Clark Griswold from National Lampoon Vacation comes out and it comes out in my wife because it comes out of me and she just wants me to mellow out and be even keel and patient and gentle and humble. And what happens is we've got a long list of things to pack and then we've got a long drive of miles to drive. And so what happens is the people I love the most are the people in the Shamu splash zone, as it were, of my, shall we say, lack of putting up with stuff, right? The people I love the most are the people I snap at the most. Man, When Amy first went on vacation with us, I think I've talked about this before, she's not used to the way we talk to one another on vacation. Because the people we love the most sometimes are the people that take it hardest. They're right there in front of the Shamu tank and they're going to get splashed on, man. Because I love them and they're in proximity. But when I see this, I think I like the translation that's not simply bearing with one another in love. Really, there's a context here of suffering through things and putting up with it. Putting up with each other. Again, when people frustrate you, do people frustrate you in this church that God has put together? Yes. All of you are looking at one of them right now. You're lying if you're saying that. I probably frustrate you. Put up with me by God's grace. And put up with one another in love. In love. The only way we need to put up with one another is in love. Last week, it was a real deep and it was this spiritual formation kind of talk. And I told you about the skyscraper. Paul prayed that we would be rooted and grounded in love. And if we're going to make it through all the storms and the winds up here, we've got to put roots so much further down beneath the surface that's rooted in the steadfast love of Christ. And the steadfast love of Christ is this, that no one or no thing can separate you from that love. And when you put your roots so deep into the ground, so deep into the heart of God, where you say, all of a sudden, the circumstances that come into my life cannot shake me. The things that people say to spite me don't shake me because I'm so deeply rooted in the abiding love of Christ where I hear more than your attack the voice of one calling me beloved. The trick is when we root ourselves so deeply into the love of Christ like Paul prayed last week, all of a sudden the little nitpicking, short and snappy, minor issues that happen in this thing called church may not matter so dadgum much. We can only put up and walk together if we do so in love. But again, we don't have to muster this up on ourselves. Just like Jesus Um, God in His love 
shows us and lives out how we should do this. Paul writes elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 13, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That should be the definition of bearing with one another in love. Love with its roots deep in the ground, all of a sudden those things that used to irritate us so much may not get at us because we're so rooted in the fact that we belong to God and these people belong to God and our first response to them should be what? Love. When we're not rooted in love, we come across to others with everything but. So think about this. Think about as we look back at this first part of Ephesians. He says to walk in the manner worthy of your calling. To do so with humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. There's something hidden in these verses and it's this. Paul is assuming, watch, that you're not going to walk alone. Humility, valuing others above yourself. Gentleness, Speaking and relating to others in a way that's not harsh or kind involves someone else. Finally, when you look at patience, giving people the benefit of the doubt, does that involve someone else? Yes. Finally, bearing with one another in love, does that involve someone else? Yes. You must walk together. You must be a part of a body you can't just be around the one another's. Paul's assuming you're walking this manner worthily together. Being around church doesn't really get you rooted in that kind of love. Being around a church just doesn't uh, get you through osmosis into the kinds of formation and ways that God has called you to. You can't just be around. We've got to walk together. So we ask ourselves, think about your spheres of relationships. Think about those people that you're walking with in this church. Think about those people you're walking with in your family. Think about those people you're walking with at work. And here's a really good litmus test of how life in Christ is taking root in you. Ask yourself this, am I more humbled now than I was a year ago? Am I more gentle now than I was a year ago? Am I more patient now than I was a year ago? Am I putting up with others in love more now than I was a year ago? Or better, don't ask yourself, ask the person closest to you. And then allow them to respond to you humbly, gently, patiently, and in a way that puts up with you. Because you may not be all of these things more now. You with me? Spiritual formation, as we've said in this church, is borrowed from Robert Mulholland Jr. in a book called The Invitation to the Journey. A great definition of spiritual formation is this. It's a process of being formed in the image of Christ, right? For the sake of others. Nobody really cares what we believe, right? I mean, they do, and they'll ask us about it. But when you're interacting with your coworkers, they care more about how you relate to them in love and openness and welcome and embrace and putting their needs above themselves. That's what changes the world. They don't care about your finer points on the end times. I'm sorry, folks. What we need to present to the world is a people who look more and more like 
Jesus. And God help us, we do that here with each other as we're given opportunities daily to be gentle and kind when we want to be angry and hurtful. We must bear with one another and walk with one another. But the good news is, we don't have to create it. Here's what I mean by that. Look in verse 3 as we're walking together. He says, Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice, do you see, my Bible says, making every effort to what? Maintain. You know what that means? We already have it. The Spirit has given this to us. It's not make every effort to attain it or drum it up. It's really, don't mess it up. You've got to maintain this. How do you do that? With gentleness, humility, patience, and putting up with one another. Maintain this and do so with the bond of peace. I live with three girls, as you well know. I've already mentioned all of them at the point of one point in this sermon. But I'm surrounded by a lot of hair ties. And when I think of the bond of peace, I think of hair ties. And I think if our church is maintaining unity and surrounded by a bond of peace, what happens to the hair tie that gets stretched from one into the other? What happens when people are going in different directions for too long, but they're united in the same kind of hair tie we call the bond of peace? What happens is that thing is going to snap and break. So we are called to walk in such a way where we are gentle, humble, bearing with one another, loving one another, and maintaining the unity that's been given to us. We don't have to drum it up. But we need to do so in a way that doesn't break that bond of peace. It's something to maintain, not attain. And so here's the trick. We need to focus in on what is it that unites us instead of what divides us. So kids, I'm about to need you. We're going to finish up and kind of blow through these last verses that are so beautiful and poetic that we're going to actually come back and talk about the last half of this section here in a couple weeks. But I want to highlight them tonight and say it's not just the spirit and the bond of peace that unites us. There are several things and we can walk together in unity as one. Look with me at verse Four, as we begin to wrap up and borrow the kiddos in a minute. Verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, And in all. Do you see that play of one and all? And I'm not just talking about three musketeers, y'all. We walk worthily and in unity as one people under one God. Contrary to all the churches and denominations you saw on your way here. If someone is in Christ... I don't care what church they belong to, we are one with them. If someone is in Christ, I don't care what their view of revelation is, if they have said, Jesus, you're all I got, we are one with them. 
We have one Lord, He is not divided. And this Lord prayed that we would be one. Now we have stretched that hair tie and the bond of peace to its breaking point. But so long as we are here in this church, would we walk together knowing and remembering that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one call, and one Father. So that makes us all children, right? So let's close our time, and I need the help from the kids to uh, give me uh, five volunteers, and why don't you guys come on down to this front row here. So come on down. Isaac, I'll use you. Cash, I need three more volunteers. Would y'all come on down? Come on, Kempers. Come on, guys. Come on down here. You're good where you are. We're going to talk about this oneness and all these ones that we just heard, okay? Y'all can have a seat right there. Y'all are good. Come on down if you want. I need five volunteers. I'm going to hand you a bag, and I don't want you to open the bag, okay? Here's this bag. Don't open the bag. Here's this bag. Don't open the bag. Who wants to be a volunteer? Yes, yes. Rock and roll. All right, we have one more. Okay, look at this. You got a haircut? No? Okay, well, it looks nice tonight. I didn't know if you got a haircut or not. All right, guys, I've been talking for a long time, right? Okay, I'm hungry, and I need your help. Okay, I need you to help me make something, all right? So each of you has a bag, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to open this bag one at a time. We'll start with Isaac, and I need you to not look, but feel around and tell us, everybody, loud and proud, what you think is in there, then I need you to dump it in here, okay? I want you to describe it. Open the bag, tell us what you feel, and then we'll dump it in the bag. What do you think, man? What does it feel like? Is it rough or soft? Smooth. Ooh, okay. Is it like, <laughs> he's very intently staring at me right now. He's getting a good feel of this stuff. It's kind of squishy. Kind of squishy. Okay, well drop it in here and let's see what it is. Drop it on in, boss. Look at that. What is that? Tomatoes. It's tomatoes. He thought it was grapes. Well, you know what, dude? These are grape tomatoes. Everybody give Isaac a hand. Look at that. All right. Let's work down here. Let's see. All right. Open it up. Give us a feel. Tell us what you're feeling. What does it feel like? Harder? Smooth. Okay. Smooth. Any guesses as to what may be in there? Carrots. I was hoping you were going to say baby fingers or something wild. But yes, let's try. See, I would have said baby fingers. These are perfect, chunky baby fingers. We have carrots. Thank you. Everyone give us a hand. All right. Now, what do we have here? What does it feel like? What does it feel like? Is it smooth or rough? Big or little? Okay, let's pop, pop them in. What do we got here? What is that? What are those things? Croutons. Croutons. Rock and roll. Everybody give us a hand. All right, rock and roll. All right, man, you got a big bag over here, bro. What does it feel like? You want to guess? Broccoli? Toss it in, dude. Look at that. All right, good news. You guys all get treats tonight. We got raw broccoli up here in the bowl. Yes, give us a hand. All right, now what do we got here? Take a feel. Is it smooth, dry? What is it? Rough, okay. Is there a lot in there or a little? A lot? Toss it in there, man. What do we got? Thank you for your help. 
Look at this. Adam forgot to put the, this out of the plastic bag. Look at this. What did we just make, guys? Well, see, that messed me up because I see lettuce and I see broccoli and I see tomatoes and I see carrots and I see croutons. Would y'all kind of crunch it up, man? Like, I see all these separate and different things, right? I see all these separate and different things, yes? But what did you say I made? A salad. I made one salad. I made a weird salad that's getting punched in the face by cash. I made one salad, didn't I? Would you believe me if I told you that our church is like this salad? Would you believe me? Isaac, why would you believe me? Just because you like me and I go, you know, eat at Chick-fil-A with you before church? Are you just being nice? Or why do you think church is like a salad? That's it. Say it loud and proud, man. Since there's different people, what? That's it. He said, we're all different people, but when we come together, we are a church. And the thing about this is our Bibles and the verse we read tonight, they call it in a word, unity. Have y'all heard that word unity or united together? What is that word? Like, what does it mean? You know, unity. Like, what? what is it, Will? Joined together. Dude, I love that. That is so right. Do you know what are the things that join us together? Even though we're all different? Because look around, man. Look at Joe. Do you have a red beard like that, man? No, we're different. And he's like eight feet taller than you, right? We're all different, man. But we're joined together. And just like Isaac said, even though we have all these different little things, we all come together and we form one thing. That's called unity or being united. So what are the things that give our church, Providence, unity? Can somebody read a verse for me loud and proud on the screen? It's going to be up here on the big screen. Yes, sir. Can you read that for us? I want to give you all a hint while you get ready to read this. What are the things that unite us? There's going to be a lot of things with the word one in front of it. So would you read it? And let's find there's seven things that have a one in front of it. And these are the things that bring us together as a church. You ready? Would you read it for us? Yeah, dude. There is what? Good. Beautiful. Thank you, Will. That was so brave. Thank you, buddy. Did y'all see all those things that have the one in front of them? Who sees it? What are, there's seven of them. Did you see how many one things there are? What are some of those one things? What? One spirit. Do y'all know what that means? One spirit. Have y'all heard of the Holy Spirit? Yeah? The Holy Spirit is God. And guess what? There's only one of them. There is one spirit. And, and one God. That's another one. You see that? God and one Lord. Yes. So look, y'all just named this. There's one spirit, is what Isaac said. Then there's one God and Father. 
And then you also said, one Lord. Have you all heard of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? You know what's really wild about this? Watch. All God, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, but one God. Isn't that crazy? So it's kind of like there's a unity with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, isn't there? Do you see that? There's three of these distinct people, persons, but they're all one person. Now, I can't explain it any more than that. It's just crazy, isn't it? But it's a unity. Even our God is united. Isn't that cool? What are some other ones you see? Someone shout it out. It's up on the screen. One body. Whose body? You want to pick a body and say, that's our body? It's the Lord's body. You're right, dude. What am I even doing up here? I don't even, I don't even know the answers to my own questions. It's one body and it's the Lord's body. Somebody's teaching y'all right. Have y'all heard that the church is the body of Christ? Isn't that awesome? We have one body of Christ, right? There's not many bodies, just like you only have one body. Jesus has one body. What else? What else do you see? What's something we haven't said? What? One faith. Faith is a good word for like trust. Like I have faith that this chair will support me when I stand up. I trusted that it would do it. Now everybody's going to be standing up on chairs when we dismiss tonight. Nobody stand on your chairs. All right. We have one faith, one trust that God is good and he's going to renew the world. That is a faith we have that God will save us. What's another thing you see? One baptism. Have you all heard about baptism? Have y'all ever seen anybody get baptized in our church? We did it. We baptized people in this church. Man, it's been a while. I didn't know. Woo! We're about to get baptized with this rain. Isn't that crazy? One baptism. We're all baptized when we say, Jesus, you're all I've got. I give my whole life to you. That's baptism. And Lord, keep this thing from baptizing all of us tonight, right? Finally, what else have we not hit? One hope. We all have a hope that God will win in the end. Is this a lot of things that unite us? And isn't it good? Because there's a lot of things that seem to be different, right? But here's the deal. God unites us, or as we said tonight, joins us together. So even though there's a lot of different shapes and sizes and ages and ways we live our lives, we have all of these things because there's one God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who is with us making us into a big, beautiful salad, right? And we call that salad the church. Thank you, volunteers. Y'all can hang out here, but we're about to close up in just a minute, okay? Did y'all like the salad? Does anybody want to eat some carrots and broccoli? You do? Man, I thought you wanted some ice cream or something. Well, let's do this. We're going to pray and we're going to sing and then we're going to eat our veggies and not ice cream tonight. Sounds good? Oh, man. All right. Man, why do you want to keep punching my salad in the face, dude? Listen, let's, let me close this up, okay? The reality is, is that there are more that unites us than divides us. But we've got to walk together in these ways that keep that unity together. You with me? The unity is a gift that we maintain. And let's be a church that walks together. Not just within these walls, but with those around us. Yep? We good?
Let me scream a prayer at you, and then we'll come to the table, okay? Y'all, thanks for rolling with a pretty wild time tonight, all right? Let's pray, take the Lord's Supper that unites us, and then we'll sing, okay? Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful for your presence among us, in us, through us. You unite us. You are in all and through all. So Lord, we ask that these like really practical things we looked at tonight would not just be rules or nice things to aspire to, but that they would be life-giving ways that we can live by your power and your spirit that unites us. Thank you for every person, young and old, gathered in this place tonight. Thank you for those who are not with us tonight. We ask your blessing on them and your blessing on these children that you love so much. Thank you for bringing them up in this place where they can love you, they can get to know you, and we pray they would continue to learn and love and follow in a way that is easy and unburdened, and that we would teach them gently, patiently, humbly, and we would bear with them as we show them how to be with Jesus, to look like Jesus, and act like Jesus. We so thank you for your time with us tonight. Bless us, unite us evermore. In the name of King Jesus, amen. So in just a moment, John's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to ask Pastor Bud and Toby to uh, have the body that was broken for all and the blood shed for all. And so kiddos, this is going to be for our grown-ups tonight. But if you guys come through the line, Pastor Bud will say, bless you. And that's just a way of saying, may God give you all the good things he wants to do. And someday, we all will get to share this meal together because we're all united in Jesus, right? You with me? Well, let's all stand up and you guys sing and we'll take in the bread and the wine. I'd like to ask my beautiful wife to dismiss us in a word of prayer. And then we'll go and get wet. Um, Let's pray. Almighty Father, whose blessed Son before his passion prayed for his, his disciples, that they might be one, as you and he are one, grant that your church, being bound together in love and obedience to you, may be united in one body by the one Spirit, that the world may believe in him whom you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.